Practices uh, like an appetizer sampler platter for your own life for the new year, and maybe even to think about adopting uh, in your own life in the coming season of Lent as many folks turn to look for ways to deepen their spiritual life for a season, uh, hopefully for their whole lives. Then, in the course of this series, we've looked at, at broadly at a number of different areas of spiritual practices from forms of prayer to ways to engage scripture to fasting both from food and other kinds of things, to having groups who help hold us accountable or individuals who direct our spirituality, to actions of service, whether it's individual or as corporate groups. Where are we headed today, Sarah? So today we thought we would share some of our favorite spiritual practices and scripture verses. Um, I know that while we were talking the last five weeks, we've kind of hinted at or kind of alluded to that, oh yes, this is something I do. Um, but today we thought we would focus a little bit more on what we, as three individuals, three Christians, three religious professionals, what we do currently. So we thought we would start off with some of our favorite scripture verses. And these might be, you know, confirmation verses, these might be verses that we've picked for the year, or whatever, we'll share the context in which they are our favorites, why we keep going back to them. Um, but I thought I would start with mine. I tend to pick verses for, um, the, I tend to have them for a couple of years, but I don't usually have them for the entirety of like my, like this, this current verse that I have is one that I picked out at the beginning of my current call. Um, so I've had it now for two years. I think is how long I've been here. Um, and it is Micah 6.8, which is, He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And for me, that's just kind of a guiding point for me as to what my ministry should be about right now. Um, in particular, for context, for those of you who don't know, um, I'm currently serving a three-point with one other pastor, um, and both of us are part-time, and we are different part-time amounts. So I'm three-quarter time. Um, so I have this interesting like cap on number of hours that I should be given each week to the church. Um, that doesn't always work out well. Um, but, you know, in that, like, what it, what should I be trying to do? Well, I should be trying to promote justice. I should love kindness. And in everything I do, I should be walking humbly with God. And what God is currently doing in my context. Nice. So that is my current one. Can I ask um, about, like... If that shows up beyond like being just mentally something you're aware of and go to, like um, I I know you had talked before I think way way at the beginning of the series about like sometimes having the practice of writing a verse that's important to you somewhere mm -hmm. that it'll be visible. What what things have you done to help like center your life around that verse or let it speak to you in the time it's been really important? 
Honestly, not as much as I like. I'm honest, I, I shared earlier the the scripture verse that I tend to have with sermon writing. Yeah, and that one is a lot more intentional. A lot more like I like reread it when I start writing my sermon at the beginning of the week. Um, but this one is, is is less that I stumble across it every once in a while, like because um, I think it's written in um, one of my church council's folders like all my church council notes are in one of those like file folders so I think it's written on the inside of that Mm -hmm. um but I think I only remembered to write it in one church council folder because like I said I have three congregations so I have multiple church councils and it's only written in one um so not as intentional as I probably could be mm-hmm. um i think i had it as my computer wallpaper for the first month of my um call but Goodness. then that quickly got changed to something else because i get bored with my <laughs> computer wallpaper so it changes frequently okay 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 cool how about for you erica uh i don't have just one that microsoft says is definitely one of the ones um it's currently um my cover photo on my facebook page and, and has been for a good while now um, but I have a lot that just over the years, they just kind of keep popping up. Um, and a lot of them are, are those, those embroidered kind of mm-hmm. pillowcase kind of verses. Yeah, yeah. There's no shame in saying that something is lovely enough to embroider somewhere. Just knowing that everybody is in favor of cross-stitch. <laughs> but things like Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope for the future, um, has been... One for for a very long time of mine. I'm talking about the seminary, and then I realized you is not an individual. <laughs> uh, I still like it, yeah. and, and honestly, I think I like it maybe more now that I realize it's meant for a larger group, not just for me individually. You know, you know, this is a slight tangent, but I would really like to see an English translation of the Bible that everywhere that the Hebrew or the Greek is plural, that the, that it says you all or y'all or in some way indicate that the you is plural because I think that's a common problem that English readers have is not recognizing that the you is plural and not singular. And then sometimes it is singular and it's supposed to be singular. Yeah. You know, yeah. where is the difference? Well, and for that matter, it would be helpful if there's an additional footnote that like the you that's singular is it one historical particular person and not applicable to somebody else. Uh, like when, so when Paul writes to Philemon, like, this is you, you should free your slave. Hopefully me reading doesn't want any slave. Um, and like other times where the you is like, this is probably a universal because it's individual. Or where the plural is, this is just the Levites. So this is just like, but yeah, I would, I would love a translation that did that. Just that. I remember taking Greek and Hebrew in seminary and we had to use, being in Kentucky, we used y'all mm-hmm. and all y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the same as between the, you know, the you and you as the group and, you know, um, but that's one of them. Psalm 23 is one. Um, ah, that's a good one. There was a point, uh, I think it was 2013, I lost uh, both my paternal grandparents within a couple months of each other and a couple other folks. And, and that's something that one of my professors really encouraged me to just reflect on the 23rd Psalm. And so I have an ornament now that I pull out every Christmas um, that has that. Um, but really, like, one that more recently came to me is uh, Song of Solomon 6.3, or Song of Songs, whatever you want to call it. And I think I talked about this in the first episode. Um, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Um, 
I came out of a time in my life where I was struggling to believe that, that God, I knew in my head that God loved me, but in my heart I really struggled with that concept. Um, and through a healing prayer experience, I was able to uh, claim that, and, and, and that knowledge went from head to heart. Um, it's tattooed, the word beloved is tattooed on my arm as a reminder of that. I used to also have a ring that had that in Hebrew on it. Um, don't ask me to say it in Hebrew, don't ask me to read it in Hebrew. <laughs> I'm trusting that that's what it said in Hebrew, because the guy that sold it to me was Jewish. Um, but, yeah, those are just a couple of mine. I, I have a few other ones, you know. Um, you know, I think we all probably have verses that we really, really love, but not like a life verse mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of the prophecies out of Isaiah, but they're not like, I don't like them because of how they speak to me, I like them because of how they speak to who Jesus is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so, that's just some of mine. Cool. Um, I would say, for, for my part, like both of you, that in different seasons and times of life, different verses have been like go-tos. And I will also confess, there have been times in my life earlier where I kind of had this attitude of when I'd stumble upon a new one, like, okay, this is the one, for the right, this is it, for the rest of my life, this is the one. And I was wrong before, but now this is the right one. Um, and I, I think I have at least matured to a point of like, oh, this is going to be a where I'm at, what I need. And um, it's not like a, a bell rings to tell me the old one has gone stale, pick a new one or something like that. But sometimes things align and you, 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 know, you need some. But um, one that has been particularly... Uh, I, I'd say formative for my um, theology in the last um, 15 or 20 years um, has been from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says in Matthew 5, um, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, pray for those. And then the, the conclusion is what makes this good news for me is that Jesus then goes on to say, because after all, God, he said, you know, your Father in heaven sends rain and sun on the righteous, on the unrighteous, on the just and the unjust, and um, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, is how Jesus says it in Luke's version of it as well. So for me, why that's been important is that brings together, first and foremost, who God is, that it's like, oh, this is, this is God's policy toward the world is reckless grace. I mean, that like, that every day, and that like for me, what I what I've come to really really appreciate about that that nugget there is the way it brings together so many strands. That like it's how Jesus teaches us to read creation, and so yep, God's present in creation. Here's how you recognize it. Not that it's a dog eat dog world and the survival of fist. Jesus says no, read creation in such a way that you see grace beyond your deserving everywhere, and that that also it's not just rooted in who God is all the way down. Um, but then that helps make sense of why the cross is God's way of saving the world. It's not that God marches in armies to kill the enemies, but God dies for the enemies. It's, and then that we're called to be people who embody that because we're convinced that's who God is. To me, like, there's the, the, the raw materials for, like, all of the theology right there. And for me, like, when, when that sunk in for me in a new way, probably 15, 20 years ago, like, that to me became the, the connective tissue between um, both like Paul and Jesus. Sometimes we sort of like, well, Paul talks a lot about being saved by grace and Jesus talks a lot about act and how you do, you know, that here's this connective thread. Um, and also that grace really isn't all the way down. Like, yep, this is, this is God's MO for how God operates and rules in the universe. And 
so to, to me, that's been a really, really important way of integrating, the, making sense of the whole New Testament for me. And that verse, you know, I, I've so, for so many years I've heard it, when we think about rain, we think of negative. <laughs> I know, for a long time I heard that too. Yeah, yeah. like, because we think of rain, we think of floods, and we think of hurricanes. Right. Because we we're not an agricultural society. Right. That, yep. But, you know, when Jesus talks about the rain coming and, and talking to an agricultural society, they know, especially in an area that's mostly desert. Right, like, that's good news, right. That is good news. I think that's another thing that was a learning for me that made, finally made this make sense. Because, to be honest, I think even up into college, I heard teachers present that passage as Jesus saying, God sends good things and bad things on everybody. Some people, everybody gets sun, everybody gets rain, you get a little bit of good, you get a little bad, and that basically then sounds like Ecclesiastes. Good and bad happens to everybody, who cares, it's all vanity. And I, Jesus is saying something so much more that, yeah, if, if, you're, if you live in that, in that culture, sun is needed, yes, and so is rain, and that both are, are signs of grace, that rain is a gift and sun is a, is a gift. And to me, that also becomes a reminder of like, when there's something in the Bible that I don't quite get or I assume it means one way, it's worth checking in with the... Con- oh, wait, yeah. Rain is a good thing if I live in Jesus' context and I live in a culture that has treated sun and rain as opposite one is good and one is bad. Yeah. No, that's not how I'm supposed to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, when I learned that, that just <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Changed how I do that verse. I remember reading... Um, and like, I, don't, I don't know that I had ever noticed this before until I think it was reading a commentary or something of Stanley Hauerwas's where he points out that in yeah, <laughs> uh, that um, in Luke's version of it, Jesus ends that same saying, sharpening it with that, be merciful as your father is merciful, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And to me, like that notes, like here's Jesus saying, God's way of dealing with rottenness and ingratitude is not I zap you because you're not polite enough or because you're a stinker. God's way of dealing with our rottenness is grace um and like to 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 have seen somebody who wasn't a a lutheran call attention that was helpful because sometimes lutherans like we look for grace where now you're fudging it there you know like but like here's somebody you know fiercely out of the methodist mennonite catholic you know you know asaros is a lot of things he's not a lutheran um (laughs) but yeah uh but like to that that uh to, to see that recognition, no, this is on the on the lips of Jesus. So this isn't like a later, you know, creed that a later tradition said. This is what we think. Like here's on the lips of Jesus saying, here's what God is like. Mm-hmm. And if there's anybody we should be able to trust, tell us or show us who or what God is like. That's sort of the whole point of what Christianity is. That Jesus is the key to making sense of who God is. And if if that's anywhere close to right, then grace is the order of the day. Um, and that, that to me has been really, really profound. And that Jesus then connects it to, if that's how God runs the universe, how are you going to treat other people? Man, that, that, that connective tissue. It's, for me, it's like the, the, what scientists talk about longing for a theory of everything that will make sense of gravity and quantum physics. And Einstein. Like, I know science is like, one day we'll come up with a way of understanding how all these things fit together and how matter and energy are really all the same or something like that. This to me is that theory of everything. And it's in Matthew's Gospel. Okay, so now that we've talked about scripture verses or stories that we keep going back to again and again, I'm curious as to what each of our current spiritual lives look like. Like, how do you do your devotions? How do you connect to God and to community and all of that? What is your current practice? As I mentioned a couple episodes ago, one of my current practices and has been for several years now is my covenant groups, my accountability groups. Um, huge, 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 
I cannot tell you how many times I've talked about them in sermons and how many times I've talked about them in, in individual conversations and, and what a life-changing experience that has been for me. Because ever since I learned about them in seminary, I wanted to be a part of one. And when I was in war, my first appointment, my mentor invited me into his group and said, hey, why don't you come and check this out? This is a way for you to kind of experience a group before trying to start one of your own in your own church. And yeah, we still, I still call in every week and meet with them. Um, and my, my clergy group that meets monthly, where we go around and spend an hour and a half of our three hours together talking about how is it with your soul. Um, yeah, they're, they're just, in, the, both of those groups are indispensable to me. I, I hate missing them. I hate when we can't gather together because um, it's just, it has helped me to grow so much spiritually. I, I can't ex explain it without just going into all kinds of, call me sometime. I'll talk to you. I'll tell you all about what these groups mean to me. But um, that, that was probably one of my top spiritual disciplines. For me, these days, there have been two things I would say that have been regular practices of mine. One that I have been doing for um, about 14 years, give or take, and one that has emerged out of the pandemic for me. Um, the, the first one that I've been doing for a while is writing uh, daily reflections as devotions that like, I put out and make available to other folks for, for my sake as the accountability piece, but it's the like the regular practice of every day taking something to do, some intentional reflecting on, and for me, writing is the way I sort of like think out loud and put things down. So that practice for me has been helpful um, as a way of making sure I'm engaging with scriptures, not only in like a how's this going to preach on Sunday, so like whatever I'm writing on is not like where I'm going on Sunday, so it's, it's meant to be something different and that's poking me in a different way, um, and that lets me... I guess, I guess wrestle with scripture in a way that doesn't get all tied up in a neat bow at the end of the sermon, that, that kind of thing, and we have sort of longer stuff. Um, and for me, that came out of a, a, a practice of an earlier mentor of mine who did, had a similar practice of writing things and putting them out via email or, you know, internet or whatever. And sometimes it would be scripture, sometimes it would be whatever he was reading, but it was a way of inviting people into engaging with, here's what's been bouncing around in my head as a way of sort of sharing, but also framed in a way that invites people into the conversation. Not like, I'm writing a commentary, here's all that could ever be said about this or that book, but intentionally like, here's where I am at today, here's how this is hitting me right now kind of thing. And I don't know if this, if this is valuable for anybody else, but it's that kind of, it's not soup yet, but if you want to see my ingredients list, I mean, that kind of thing. So that's been helpful for me as a, as a practice. Um, and I'm, I'm never quite sure that I can point back to what did that exactly do for me other than Certainly, it has kept me more wrestling in the in the scriptures or in other things when it would be easy, especially in a tradition that uses the lectionary to leave other things behind. And like, I I really 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 appreciate the time I spent years and years ago. Like, I did like a verse by verse going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and before that, I think because it shows up in our lectionary maybe three times. Like, I was like, yeah, don't need to pay attention to that. Not very important. You know, get be ready for the one time you'll have to preach that sermon. But like. To spend time with it, it's like now the voices from Scripture are almost like 
um, to be crude about drinking buddies. Like, there are people who, like, you get to know their, their style to some degree and, like, yeah, that's how Ecclesiastes sounds. Um, and to, like, hear their voices in a different way. That's been helpful for me. It, it, it's a way of feeling like, connected to people, not just in the room, but, like, over centuries. The other thing that has been helpful for me, at least I think has been helpful, um, in what has been a particularly stressful time with the pandemic and also with the way anxiety and tension and disagreement in uh, culture, you know, like this has been such a politically charged season as well, um, was um, for, for me, for my own sake, I felt like I needed to develop a pattern for daily prayer that enabled me to pray for both people I like and people I don't like in a way that was intentional. And so... Um, created a pattern of prayer that felt like it would help me, but then invited folks in the churches as well if they were interested as well. And it's a, it's a five-point way of praying that starts with God at the center and asking us to be recentered in God, to pray for the world that God loves, to pray for me and my needs and how can I be a part of it, to pray for those who are closest to me, and then to pray for my enemies, people who I don't like, who don't, and then to let that in each of those areas um, become a practice as well. So, like whoever I'm thinking of that I really care about, maybe I should write them a note today. And that you know, there's there's concrete practice and action um, that's been helpful for me in a way that I don't think I I think I I thought when I started this, I don't know if it'll be useful, but I'll try it. But every so often I find myself really tense in the morning and going through that order has been helpful for me. And this is for someone who is not usually a pray the hours kind of a person. And I don't know that it'll last forever, but for right now it's been a practice that's been helpful for, for me in that regard. How about for you, Sarah? Uh, so for me, the, the practice that I go back to again and again and again is Bible reading plans. Um, and I think that this is in large part because my biggest spiritual influence or religious influence in my life what is my, uh, was my Southern Baptist grandparents who had a very strict practice of in the morning they would get ready for breakfast, like they would put everything on the table and then they would also get their Bibles and they would sit down and read a chapter a day. And then they would have, in my mind as a child, the longest prayer ever. Because they prayed for literally everybody. And then they would eat breakfast. And I remember just thinking, my milk is going to be warm. This <laughs> took forever. Couldn't we get out the milk after we did the Bible reading and the prayer? Um, but to me, that really cemented that spiritual practice begins with the Bible. And so I usually have a Bible reading plan and usually it's too ambitious because it's usually I want to try to read the whole thing in a year. And um, that's often when I then get into trouble because then like I'll accidentally skip a day and then it's like now I have twice as much to read the next day and I just don't have time for that. And then so I've been like then the next day oh, now I have to read three days' worth of... And, and it just kind of snowballs into a really unhelpful thing. And so I started doing spiritual direction a couple of months ago because I felt like I didn't have time. I didn't have time to read the Bible. I didn't have time to have good, long conversations with God. Um, I didn't have time to journal because I used to, you know, journal a lot when I was younger before I had kids, um, often handwritten. And, you know, I just kept thinking, oh, no, and now I don't handwrite anything anymore. So, like, my hand gets tired before I finish my thoughts. And it just felt like it was snowballing into effect. And it was, uh, it, and it, 
having somebody hear all of my dilemmas with finding time really helped because somebody else was able to say, you like to-do lists, right? Well, put the devotions on your to-do list. That will make you more likely to do it so you can check it off. And, um, oh, you miss journaling? Well, have you tried typing your journal instead of handwriting it? And it was like this light bulb went off because I feel like journaling has to be handwritten and having this like moment of, oh, I could type it. Like, I'm a really fast typist. Of course I can type a journal. And that journal has become a place of prayer, hmm. a place where I can talk to God. Sometimes it's more of just me ranting, and I'm not sure that's super prayerful. <laughs> it might be, because I'm sure God is still listening. And sometimes it's like, this is what my goals are for the week. Yeah. And sometimes it's more of just like, oh, this really cute thing happened with my kid today. Let, let me write it down somewhere. Um, so like this, this type, this journal on my computer now is... It, Parts prayer, parts goals, part being intentional about stuff. Sometimes reflection on a more simplified Bible reading plan. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to read the whole thing in a year. Now it's more, I'm just going to slowly walk through Romans. Mm -hmm. And that might take me a really long time. And that might, and that's okay, because... You know, my kids are still really small. I'm working. I'm in school. I try to have a social life with my husband and talk to him every once in a while. <laughs> like, there's a lot going on. And so maybe it's okay that I'm not reading the whole thing back, you know, from Genesis to Revelation in a year. You know, even my grandparents, they timed it, and it usually took them about three years to get through the Bible. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. I don't have to read the whole thing in a year. Mm -hmm. Um when you mentioned that sometimes your journaling feels like a rant it, and, and you wondered if it was less prayerful, it made me think of how many of the psalms, either the angry ones or the lament ones, are basically somebody ranting, and like that made it into the Bible. But like Sometimes that's the holiest, like, this is a safe space for me to say this, God, so blah, and then like discovering, and you didn't run away in any of that time, and any of the other people I know would have run away, <laughs> but like you stayed with me, God, that that's, that, I think there's, there's something good for the soul there, too. Um, can I ask uh, an unprepared question for everybody? If there is a practice that you have never tried, but that you think sometime you are interested in exploring, I'm not making, asking you to make promises, but like, if there, is there something that you haven't done or haven't explored or done much with, but think, um, I could see this being something I try at some point. <laughs> Done them all, checked off, had everything on the appetizer sampler, right? Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's partially my background in yeah. getting a degree in spiritual formation. You, you know, sometimes assignments and classes mm -hmm. where you try this mm -hmm. discipline for. Um, I will say I would like to be better at fasting. Mm -hmm. It's something I've tried before, it's something that I would like to be more mm -hmm. intentional about. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'll say I have been intrigued at the over the times we've talked about it in this group um, about uh, we call the praying with color the idea of uh, sort of doodling or coloring or whatever letting prayer become art form that way not with the sense of I'll come up with a masterpiece that'll go up on a wall somewhere but like this is helpful for me to that seems like something I could see being worth a try for me and I, I I'm intrigued every time I've heard you talk about it Sarah there's something that uh, I might try that sometime. 
I think for me it's spiritual writing. Hmm. I took a class in January, last January, so a year ago, uh, on spiritual writing from as like a continuing education online class that was um, put out by the Pittsburgh Theological oh, yeah. Seminary. Um, and it was really cool. I mean, in some ways it wasn't super helpful because like the definition of spiritual writing is still just kind of like, I'm not really sure what this is because it's writing that is spiritual. Well, what is that? Yeah. Like, and it's such a huge umbrella. Like, it covers so much. Like, it's, like, devotional stuff. It's reflection. It's, um, really almost anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I want to do more of that. But, like, I took that class, and then shortly after it finished is when the pandemic hit. And so, like, my intention of continuing spiritual writing in some shape or form derailed because suddenly I had zero free time because I was trying to work and be a full-time mom in ways that I, like, you know, we're, you're always full-time parenting, I guess, but, like, suddenly I didn't have childcare, mm -hmm. like, and I was still trying to work. Um, and then, like, right around the time that the daycares reopened is when I went back to school, so, like, that time that, um, I no longer had that time to be able to explore spiritual writing. And so I think that's something I would like to get back into someday because I don't want to try to put it on myself now because I don't think that would be healthy because I'd have to give up something and I'm afraid that that something would be sleep. <laughs> and I don't think that would be helpful, but someday I would like to get back into spiritual writing. Cool. And so I guess until then, I'm just going to continue doing this journal hodgepodge of whatever happens to be typed into my computer is what's in my journal um, as a, at least something. Well, I, I appreciate all of your voices over these weeks. Um, this series is now coming to a close as the season that the church sometimes calls Epiphany Tide is coming to an end. Um, and with the hope that um, hopefully something we've shared might have uh, piqued your interest or feels like something that you might be interested in engaging. Whether in the coming season the church marks out as Lent or just something for somewhere down the road or something less formally to just incorporate in the way you think and practice your faith. But we hope that what we've offered here in this appetizer sampler over these weeks has been valuable for you. But thanks for joining us here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.